You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's great to see all of you here this afternoon. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And here at City Church, it's become our habit on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend to focus on the theme of work and faith. Hopefully that's been apparent to you already through the service, through um, the songs that we've sung and through uh, Taylor sharing a little bit of his testimony. And, and that's going to continue now as we turn to the message as well. I want to talk about the intersection of faith and work. And last year on this particular Sunday, I uh, started off the sermon by talking about the bear, not Cocaine Bear, but The Bear, which is a TV show on uh, FX. It's available on Hulu, and season one had come out, and my wife and I had watched it, and I really enjoyed the show, and today I'm going to talk about The Bear season two, because that came out this summer conveniently enough for me and for this sermon, and uh, season two is very different from season one. It's, a, it's a, uh, a show about a restaurant, and season one is very intense, and uh, it's hard to watch at times. It's kind of anxiety-inducing if you haven't seen it. It also is filled with coarse language. Just uh, want to get that out there as a warning for any of you who might consider watching it. Season two is a little bit different. Season two takes a look inside the restaurant a little bit more. It's more focused on the food. It's a little more chef-y. Uh, as a season, and it also is telling the, the character arcs of various characters in this show. And I, I realized while Taylor was sharing, one of the reasons that I love the show, The Bear, is because it tells a really good story. I think a lot of the TV shows or movies or media that we consume, it's because of that. It tells a good story. It, it draws us into it. The other reason I really like The Bear is because it's a show that's all about work. It's all about vocation, and that's a topic that I've been interested in for over a decade of how our faith informs our work, and that's part of what um, the, the show The Bear gets at. You see, one of our goals here at City Church is try to break down the disconnect that often develops between Sunday and worship, what we're doing right now, and the rest of the week. Sometimes what we talk about in church can seem so far removed from real life, daily existence, whether that's as a student or um, in your job or in your home. And we really believe that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is true and relevant to every moment of life. And so what I want to do today is mobilize some of the biblical and theological resources that we have around work around vocation to help you understand not just Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. And I think this is particularly important in our moment right now. There are various uh, cultural critics right now who, who say that we're living in a moment of workism. There are a few articles that have been um, circulating around the internet around this topic of workism. And when I say workism, I don't mean workaholic 
right? What I mean, and, and what they mean by workism, is the way that work has come to define our primary identity and purpose. It's the idea that it's our work that gives us our community, gives us transcendence, and gives us purpose in the world. Now, some of you may say, gosh, I don't really feel that way about my work. That's fair. I'm not saying everyone feels this way. But in general, work is loaded for many of us. Uh, one, of, one of the simple ways that I think this is um, apparent is when we're introducing ourselves to other people, right? Here's a moment where we're trying to communicate something about who we are. And what is usually the first question we ask? What do you do? And when we ask that question, we're giving people an opportunity to talk about their identity, to talk about their purpose. But often, have you noticed that when you ask that question, it also makes people insecure. It sometimes is an avenue into deep areas of woundedness where they feel like, well, maybe my job, what I do doesn't measure up. I'm just a, well, I stay at home. Right? And, and suddenly we see the ways that workism uh, permeates our culture. So much of identity and purpose and transcendence and hope is loaded onto this idea of work. Now I think that there are some, uh, and maybe workism is more a problem for my generation. I think as I've talked to some younger people, and some of you may feel this, you're like, I don't know, I mean, I have a job, but it's not that big a deal. I think that is maybe true, and I think that some of it is shifting from workism to what I would call comfortism or leisureism, where we're finding identity and purpose not necessarily from work, but from what work buys for us or provides for us, the trips that we can take, the things that we can buy, the experiences that we can go to. And, and so if workism isn't resonating with you, I want you to think about that category because I think what I'm going to share about them applies to both. And here's, here's the main point. Whether it's workism or comfortism, neither one is meant to bear the weight that we are giving to them. Neither of those things is meant to tell us who we are. Neither of them is meant to give us purpose. And when we live that way, our lives begin to buckle under the pressure of putting too much weight on things that were never designed for it. Well, the good news for you and for me is there's another way. And that's what we're going to talk about from Scripture today. I'm going to read a passage from John chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it. And follow along as I read these verses from John 15. And I'm going um, to talk about a few other places in Scripture today as well. So it might be useful to keep a thumb in John and then turn back with me to Genesis when we get to that point as well. Uh, these words are also printed in the worship guide. You're welcome to follow along there. This is God's word that he's given to us because he loves us so much. Here's what it says, verses 1 through 11. It's Jesus speaking. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we seek to be women and men who are blessed by you. Women and men who walk in the way of God, who delight in your law, and who meditate on your word day and night so that it will be as if we're like trees planted by streams of water, whose branches bear great fruit. As we turn to your word now, Father, we ask that we would be planted in it and that your spirit would move in us to produce a fruitfulness that Jesus talks about in this passage. We ask that you would do this for our good and for the glory of your name. Amen. All right, so John 15, it's a familiar passage, maybe, but probably not one that you've ever heard applied to work. It seems like it's filled with all this spiritual language. It's very far from the daily grind of profession or vocation. But here's the way that I think John 15 is absolutely about our work. And it's in this phrase where uh, Jesus keeps talking about bearing fruit, fruit bearing. That's the giveaway. And when we know the, the, the rich history of the word of God, when we understand biblical theology, we know that that is a clue that he's talking about our vocation. Bearing fruit is a central motif of vocation throughout the Bible, and it starts all the way back in the very first chapter, Genesis 1. In the verses that Brienne read for us earlier in our service and that are uh, printed in the worship guide is the Old Testament. You see, Genesis 1 is the starting point for a biblical theology of work. There, God creates all things, heaven and earth. He creates humankind, and then he gives to humankind what's known as the creation mandate. It's called the creation mandate, well, because it happens right at creation. And it's called a mandate, that's just another word for command. It's instructions that God is giving to Adam and Eve. And we see it in uh, Genesis 1, verses 28. He blesses them and then he says to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over all things that move on the earth. You see, this becomes the recipe for human work. Our liveliness is all included there in that creation mandate. Go be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Exercise dominion. 
creation mandate. I want to add another theological overlay on top of that. And this is getting in the weeds a little bit with theology, and it may be introducing an idea that you haven't heard before, but I think it will be helpful if you bear with me. You see, this other theological reality that we see in the early chapters of Genesis is something called the covenant of works. God, after he created mankind, entered into this covenant of works. We actually see it most clearly in Genesis chapter 2. I want to flip there just for a second and read those verses. Because this is where God gives instructions to Adam, instructions that come with a conditional of great blessing. It says in Genesis 2, verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Hear that language again. It's about our work. It's about vocation. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This covenant of works was a binding covenant that God entered, and he said to Adam, If you keep this covenant, you will live. You will be blessed beyond your creational blessing. But what happens? The very next chapter in the Bible, Genesis 3, Adam falls. Adam and Eve sin. And at that point, it's not that the covenant of works is abrogated. It's not done away with. But Adam and Eve are rendered unable to keep it. This covenant still stands. The covenant of work still pertains to humankind, but they can't keep it anymore. Well, what happens next? God, because he is God and because he is gracious, he enters into another covenant with humankind. And this is the covenant of grace. This is the covenant of his salvation. It's his covenant of deliverance. And it uh, continues through the Bible until its climax in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, the climax of the covenant of grace, here's the crazy part. He fulfills the covenant of works. You see, in all the ways that Adam failed, in all the ways that he disobeyed, Christ was perfectly faithful. He fulfills the original covenant of works. And the last thing that you have to know about all this theological information is that creation mandate, it is part of the covenant of works. The two go together. It has been fulfilled, it has been completed by Jesus Christ. Now, some of this seems a little odd. It seems like I'm, I'm playing hocus pocus and I'm introducing these theological terms. But, but what I want you to understand is that the Bible and especially the, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew understanding is that we live in a covenantal universe. We live in a universe where we are in a binding relationship to God. And this strikes our ears as odd because we live in a day and age that is so much about the individual, so much about our own autonomy. But the whole story of Scripture, the whole arc of the Bible is that we are in relationship to God. What this means, this covenantal understanding, is that we long to know and be known by God. We long to love and be loved by God. And this is the, the covenant that kind of echoes and haunts all of our lives. 
the other thing that a covenantal universe means is it creates obligation. It creates responsibility. We are obligated to God, to others, and to the world. And that's in the background of all of us. It's hardwired into us. And why do I go into all this detail? Well, because I think it begins to explain some of what we feel when it comes to our work. You know, we, we talk in, in the office a lot about the Sunday scaries. Right? The reality that Sunday afternoon rolls around and you're beginning to think about what you have to do on Monday. And work carries this weight. Yeah. It's because it was designed that way. When, when you feel the Sunday scaries, what you're feeling is this uh, covenantal universe. That we are designed in covenant with God, and part of that covenant relationship is a covenant of works. That never was done away with, that still is valid. And, and there's, a, there's a writer that I was reading this week, and he called this feeling an internal alarm clock of our covenantal consciousness. It's a great turn of phrase. You see, when we begin to feel some alienation with work, some stress, some anxiety of work, it could be a sign that something's wrong, but it could also simply be a sign that we were created for this covenant of work to fulfill the creation mandate. And when we live denying that, when we live believing that we are uh, autonomous, that we are individuals, that we don't have any obligation towards God, we are living out of tune with the universe and out of tune with how we were created. Okay, let's circle back to John 15, because it seems like we've gone pretty far afield, doesn't it? Well, we have and we haven't. Because when we come back to John 15, what Jesus is saying, in the very opening verse, I think, is he is saying, I am the fulfillment of your covenantal obligation. He says in verse one, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Again, you, you You'll have to trust me, I'm not going to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 5, God introduces this image of the vine. And he refers to Israel, he refers to his covenant people Israel as a vine that he has planted. That he has designed, what is a vine designed to do? To bear fruit, back to Genesis 1. See, this, all of Scripture is telling this one story. And here in John 15, as he's concluding his ministry, Jesus looks at his friends and he says, I am the true vine. He is saying, I am the fulfillment of the original human vocation to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth and to exercise dominion, to work in the garden, to keep it. All of that covenant of work, all of that creation mandate, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I've done it. I've fulfilled the covenant of works. I've fulfilled the creation mandate. And he then invites us, as he invites his disciples, to participate in the fulfillment by faith in him. That's how we are to live. And so that's what the meat of this passage is. The rest of John 15, those early verses, he's saying, abide in me. 
have faith in me. And, and this is John's language for another theological concept that we talk about a lot about at City Church, union with Christ. Union with Christ is the Pauline language. He talks about being in Christ, about being in him. He talks about um, all, all of this in language, but when John wants to talk about it, he says, abide in me. It's the same idea. It's the same concept, just different language. Union with Christ. Here's how it works. Christ has fulfilled the covenant of works. By faith, we are in Christ, and it's fulfilled for us too. Okay, let me try to close the loop, because you're asking this question, so what? This all sounds really good, right? What difference does it make for your work, for my work? Well, sometimes we think about work and why it feels alienating, why it feels anxiety-inducing, right? And we might think, well, it feels that way if I am doing bad work, if I'm doing work that's outside of the creational norms, right? If I'm, if I'm doing stuff that's illegal, if I'm doing something that's harmful to someone else, yeah, that, that might make it feel like bad work. Or, here's another common one, we think it's alienating, well, I must be, um, it must be because I have made work into an idol. I'm treating work as a god, I'm replacing that work with God. I think there's another alternative, and I think it's the one that's much more common for most of us. And it's this. The problem is that we are going about our work outside of our union with Jesus Christ. In in other words, we are going about our work forgetting or not knowing, never knowing, that Christ has already completed and fulfilled the covenant of works. This question mark no longer hangs over our head because Christ has done it. You see, it's possible for us to do good work and do it to serve the true God, but to do that work as if we were still in Adam and not in Jesus Christ. Okay, well, what does that look like? What does that feel like? It feels as though, it's it's doing work where it feels like there's this question over our existence. Will I be accepted? Do I belong? Will what I do matter? And I think so often that's the way we do work. Because we grew up and that question was asked by our parents, or we asked that of our parents. I'm working hard, I'm doing everything I can, will they accept me? Or it was, uh, we, we projected that towards a teacher or a professor or towards a boss. And we do all this work with this quivering question of our identity. The covenant of works fulfilled by Jesus Christ takes that question away. You are accepted, you are united, you do abide in Jesus Christ. When that question remains, when it hasn't been answered, we begin to look to our work for our identity, to find our purpose. We ask our work to tell us who we are. Or again, for those of you who aren't into workism, but for you it's comfortism, you look to your leisure, you look to your lifestyle to tell you what your identity is, what your purpose is, whether you matter or not. Neither one of those things can ever bear the weight Only Christ can. 
the question has been answered by Christ's fulfillment of all of the covenantal obligations. You see, what we are doing, what it feels like, is living as an orphan or a slave rather than living as a daughter or a son of God. That's what abiding in Christ means. And what does it lead to at the end of the passage? It leads to joy. The joy that we are created for, the joy that we long for. But we have been going about our work in the wrong way. The Bear, season two. I found out this week that there is a whole cottage industry of people who will write things online doing deep dives into every episode of every show. I didn't know that. There are a lot of people with time on their hands out there. But there, there are, there are, um, there are articles, there are, are Reddit threads, there are memes out there that claim that in the Bear season two there are, are perfect scenes of television. And perfect episodes even, especially episode seven. Episode seven is all about a character named Richie. And Richie, we learn through uh, season one and in the beginning of season two, Richie is a 45-year-old man who suffered a lot. And he works at this uh, Italian beef restaurant in Chicago. And uh, he yells a lot. He's angry. The whole premise of the show is that his best friend has uh, committed suicide and they're trying to save the restaurant. He's estranged from his wife. He sees his daughter only occasionally when he has visitation rights. And again and again, the scenes develop to tell us what? To tell us that Richie doesn't know what his purpose is. He doesn't know who he is. And the way that he responds to that is by lashing out in anger, at yelling at anyone who crosses his path. But then, in episode 7, Richie is assigned for a week to go work at the nicest restaurant in Chicago. And he shows up at 6 a.m. that first morning, and he's handed a tray of forks, and his job for that whole day is to polish the forks. He hates this job. It's only his stubbornness that allows him to, to endure. And he polishes those forks the whole day. Next day he arrives, tray full of forks again. As the week goes on though, he's invited into the front of the restaurant. He's invited to watch and see how all of the wait staff and all of the employees at this restaurant pay attention to all of the guests, how they care and provide hospitality so that they can be the top restaurant in all of Chicago. The very last day that he's there, he's invited to work the room in the restaurant and provide um, frontline care for the, the guests who come into that restaurant. And in that moment, we see Richie no longer wearing the original beef t-shirt that he had throughout the whole season, but he's dressed in a dark suit. He's put together, he looks sharp, and he's so good at caring for those guests. He listens in. 
he hears that one guest had been into Chicago and hadn't yet had deep dish pizza. So he runs down the street to a deep dish pizza place and they provide pizza for these guests. They blow their minds with their care. The storytelling of the bear, what story is it telling? Well, it's telling us that Richie found out who he was. He found out his purpose. Next scene, he goes back to the, the, the restaurant that he's working at. It's called The Bear. And he shows up and he's wearing a suit. And one of the other employees at the restaurant says, what gives, what, what are you doing? And Richie says this uh, indelible line. He says, I wear suits now. He had found out who he was. He had found out his purpose. And friends, there's a great gospel connection. Because when we understand union with Christ, when we understand what it means to abide in Christ, we say, I wear suits now. I wear the suit of the righteousness of Christ I get dressed every day in his fulfillment of every covenantal obligation. The covenant of works has been credited to us by faith. And it makes all the difference. You see, what if we have been going about our work in all the wrong ways? Again, whether you're a student or a mother or a father or an employee, or a boss? What would it look like if we did our work in Christ? Knowing that he has done all the work, knowing that we are clothed in the suit of Christ's righteousness, credited to our account through our faith, we would do our work with joy, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As the bear ends, all I can see in my mind is Richie's smile. The joy that he has in finding out his purpose, in believing in his identity, that is on offer to all of us through Christ that we might work differently in a way that honors God and in a way that serves our world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the story that you tell in your word and more importantly, for the story that you have told with your life. That in your faithfulness to God, You have fulfilled all that we never could fulfill. We pray that you would now, by your Spirit, give us faith to believe that. That the question mark haunting all of our lives would be removed. That we would trust in your finished work. That you have kept the commandments. And that we can delight now as we abide in you and in your love. Help us to remember that great truth and help us to know that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen.